This is a message from Dr. Michael Youssef, Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Our prayer is that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Youssef and the ministry of Leading the Way, the place to start is ltw.org. I think most of you will agree with me that in our lifetime, certainly I know in my lifetime, there has been no time when the cross of Christ has been more abused and misused, have been undermined and ignored, has been rejected and despised. Yet the power of the cross is truly beyond human understanding. I'm going to try to bring in those three messages on the folly or the foolishness and the power of the cross. I'm not creative to come up with that title. The Apostle Paul did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul said, for the message of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. And so during this short series, I will be talking about the enduring power of the cross. I'm going to show you the cross in the past, that's in the Old Testament, the cross in the present, that's the New Testament, the cross in the future. I will begin by explaining the power of the cross for all who have placed their only hope, their only faith, their only trust for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must never, 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 never forget that the cross was not an afterthought in God's mind, that the cross was not a good idea at the time, that the cross did not just happen because the Romans decided to crucify Jesus. Why? Because the cross was the plan of God before the foundation of the earth. The cross was in the plan of God before creation. And in order to comprehend this, we're going to need to understand why our culture, especially right now, and so many professing Christians are trivializing the cross. Here's the formula that operates in all societies, in all times, throughout history. It is like this. Whenever sin is minimized, like it is today in many a church, the cross is trivialized. Let me repeat this. Whenever sin is minimized, the cross is trivialized. Can you say it with me? Whenever sin is... Beloved, listen to me. Sin and the cross go together. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot understand one without the other. You cannot comprehend the enormity of sin without understanding the awesomeness of the cross. The cross is the only cure to sin. The cross of Christ and is the plan of God for salvation before the creation of the world. The cross was God's answer to humanity's sin and rebellion before man ever sinned in the Garden of Eden. 
From the very beginning of creation, God instituted the shedding of blood in the Garden of Eden, innocent lamb that had to be slain in order to cover Adam and Eve's sin. But that's not all. God was showing them that this is a foreshadowing that this is the foreshadowing of the cross of Christ where the innocent, most innocent lamb of all is going to hang one day. From the very beginning of creation, God foreknew what would happen to His creation. God foreknew that Adam and Eve would go their own way, not God's way. And that is why the first act of redemption in the Garden of Eden was the substitutionary sacrifice for sin. I know, I know, I know, I know, the age-old question, but why? Why couldn't God just forgive Adam and Eve? Why? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Remember the formula? When sin is minimized, the cross is what? God could not minimize the enormity of Adam and Eve's sin. But not only that, God wanted Adam and Eve to know and to teach the subsequent generation that animal sacrifice is the prefiguring of the cross of Christ. God wanted them to teach the subsequent generation to anticipate the sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice of all. He wanted them to know that sin is costly, that sin cannot be taken lightly by God, that sin is a colossal offense to a holy, righteous God. And that is why from Abraham to Moses to the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, animal sacrifice were offered. The innocent blood was shed for a guilty sinner. An innocent blood was shed for man's sin. And that is why after Christ's cross, no animal sacrifice were allowed Again, the old age, old question, why? Animal sacrifice could never permanently remove sin. Only temporary. It was not a permanent answer. God instituted animal sacrifice for three reasons. First of all, He did it so that they realize how costly when they spend that money to offer that sacrifice, it reminds them that This is only temporary, but that's not all. They also remind them as they spend that colossal amount of money how expensive that sacrifice is, how dreadful sin is to God. And finally, it will remind them every time they offer the colossal sacrifice that they are worshiping a holy and righteous God who cannot wink at sin. It reminded them also that is a prefiguring, it's a pre-shadowing of the cross of Christ. You and I must see things from God's perspective. Just see it from God's point of view. His justice must prevail. His justice must prevail. If His justice has to prevail, then sin must be dealt with. Justice says sin and guilt has to be dealt with. That's why always the justice of God and the love of God are two sides of the same coin. The rebellion against God's Word must find permanent answer. 
And that is why on the cross, God Himself, the most innocent blood of all, paid for the sin and the guilt and rebellion of every repentant person on the face of the earth. On the cross, God paid the price so that anyone, 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 anywhere would come to Him confessing their sin. They'll be set free from the clutches of sin and guilt. Listen, I've dealt with people who genuinely ask, but why? Why did God have to do it this way? Why did God have to slay an animal? Couldn't God just click His fingers and all of a sudden Adam and Eve could have nice silk robes to cover their nakedness? Why didn't He? Why? He's God, right? He could do anything, right? Uh, Remember the formula? Let me get back to the formula again. When sin is what? Crosses, and God cannot minimize sin. He cannot minimize sin. Now, a question. Did Adam and Eve understood what God is doing? Absolutely. Absolutely they did. And that is why they taught it to their boys, Cain and Abel. They taught them the sacrifice, the importance of sacrifice, and what God did for them. And they told him to obey God because that's the prefiguring of the cross. One obeyed, the other one didn't. And from that time on, all of humanity is divided into two groups. The Abelites and the Cainites. Not the Canaanites, the Cainites from Cain and Abel. Those who follow in the tradition of Abel's obedience and those who follow in Cain's tradition of disobedience. People all over the world, all over the world, whenever they hear the message of the cross preached, they are divided into two groups, those who gratefully receive it and those who arrogantly reject it. People the world over respond in two, only two ways to salvation. Embrace it at the cost of their life. And then there are others who arrogantly reject it in the way of Cain. See, Cain and Abel are the microcosm of all of humanity. The Abelites come to God God's way. The Cainites want to come to God their way, their way, my way. God said there is only one way for anyone to come to His heaven And that is through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus, on that cross. Today, all of Cain's followers in the churches in the West are teaching that you can worship God your way, that you can come to God your way. You don't like this narrow-mindedness of one way, You don't like this old-fashioned message of the cross. (laughs) You don't like this exclusivity of coming to God God's way. Oh, God has many ways. The way of Cain. The way of who? It is no wonder that in Genesis 4, verses 4 and 5, God said that He looked with favor upon Abel's sacrifice But on Cain's offering, you get the difference? He looked with favor on Abel's sacrifice, but on Cain's offering, he did not look with favor. 
And that is why, my beloved friends, in the New Testament, in the epistle to the Hebrews, it speaks of all who come to God through the cross of Christ are able like obedience. Let me read it to you from Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. Why is it better? We don't know if the fruit of the land might be even more expensive than the animal sacrifice, right? I mean, it may even worth more money. But that's not the issue. You can't buy your salvation. The issue is are you coming to God God's way? Worshiping God God's way is the shedding of innocent blood. And this is the way it is from the very beginning. That is why I say to you, the cross is past, the cross is present, the cross is future. And there is more about this past, the cross in the past. Every blood ritual, every sacrifice ritual, anywhere on the face of the earth, among the pagans, all the animists in Africa and the Hindus and in Asia, all pagan worship when they offer a sacrifice to their God. It actually can be traced back all the way to the original revelation to Adam and Eve. Ah, tragically, of course, all of these pagan sacrifices were sacrifices as a perversion of this true one animal sacrifice because it is a prefiguring of the cross. All idol worship in pagan societies, they kept the rituals, but they lost the meaning. Oh, I wish you could see the transformation that takes place in their life. Those who come from pagan cultures, those who come from non-Christian cultures, when they hear the message of the cross, that all the stuff they're doing in order to please, appease, or to kind of bribe their gods was really all about the prefiguring of the cross. When they come to Christ, they are ready to die for Christ. They become the strongest believers on the face of the earth when they begin to comprehend. That's what it means. See, we take it for granted. Ah, ho-hum, going to church Sunday, you know. Let me make sure that you understand what I'm trying to say here. The Bible said that God made all of humanity of one blood, one family. Listen to me. All this manufactured racism is evil. I have never met a born-again Christian who has the Spirit of God in him or her is a racist. I've never seen them, and I will never see them. You tell me Jesus is my Lord, you cannot be a racist. I don't care what color skin you have. This is Marxism just being preached in order to divide us as people of God, and we will never let them do that. The Bible said God made all of humanity, all of humanity, of one blood, one family. And that is why Adam, who lived for 930 years, has taught the subsequent generation the principle of sacrifice as a prefiguring, as a pre-shadowing of the cross of Christ. And he taught this all the way to Lamech. In case you don't know who Lamech is, he was Noah's father. 930 years. Noah lived for 600 years. 
And he taught this prefiguring of the cross and the sacrifice to the next generation, all the way to Abraham. As a matter of fact, when he came out of the ark, the first thing he did, offer a sacrifice. And I want you to remember this, that Abraham was 58 years old when Noah died. Just think about this. He was 58. So all these 58 years growing up, knowing great, 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 Pa Noah, teaching him the prefiguring of the cross. Abraham, in obedience and faith, looked ahead 2,000 years down history, and he saw the day of Christ, and he rejoiced. That's what Jesus said. And when Isaac asked his father, Abraham, Daddy, where is the sacrifice? Abraham prophesied a word of prophecy about the cross, and he said, God is going to provide himself as a sacrifice. And right on schedule, 2,000 years later, not far from Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered the ram that God provided, God provided himself in the person of his son to be the sacrifice, the only sacrifice acceptable to God. The New Testament books of Galatians and Romans and even the epistle to Peter, they tell us again and again and again that all those who have Abraham's faith in Jesus are true descendants of Abraham. All who have the faith of Abraham are descendants of Abraham, not ethnically, but faith descendants. Isaac has never forgotten that God provided the ransom for his life. He taught it to his descendants as a prefiguring of the cross of Christ. His son Jacob learned this lesson, and he sacrificed in Shechem, and he called it Il Elohim Israel. God is the God of Israel, or Jacob. Even after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God has to reteach His descendants, the descendants of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, the importance of sacrifice as a prefiguring of the cross of Christ. And so God established Yom Kippur, and He established the Day of Atonement. He also established the Passover. And so for 1,400 years, until the Passover found its complete fulfillment— complete fulfillment. And I'm going to tell you more about this and what Jesus said about Himself and the Passover. He is the fulfillment, the complete and ultimate and final fulfillment of the Passover, because He is the only one who can permanently, 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 can you say that permanently? Permanently. Remove sin and guilt. And that is why the cross of Christ is the only symbol that points us to where we can have our sins removed. The stain of sin, the guilt of sin, the punishment of sin, totally removed. And that cross has become the symbol of permanent freedom from sin and guilt. Passover stopped with Jesus' cross. Passover ended with the cross of Christ. Passover is finally fully fulfilled in the cross of Christ. Why I'm saying this? Because if you're anticipating a person, say you're standing on the street, you have an appointment, somebody's coming, and they keep waiting and keep waiting, and then you see the shadow of the person. Say, ah, he's on his way. Just a shadow. When the person arrives, the shadow ceases to be important, right? And that's why 
the foreshadowing of the cross, the prefiguring of the cross, is no longer important because he's here. I'll say this as I conclude. The Bible said in Proverbs 13.22 that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I think we all want to leave something of heirlooms or some legacy to our children and children's children, for sure. Listen to me, I'm about to finish. There can be no greater legacy or inheritance that we can give our children and grandchildren more important than recognizing the enormity of sin and the awesomeness of the cross of Christ for removing that sin. Remember our formula again. When sin is, the cross is, the greatest legacy. We can leave the next generation. I know the greatest legacy that I can leave to the next generation, not just my own generation, but the generation in the church of Jesus Christ, is how to cling to the old rugged cross. The old rugged cross despised by the world has wondrous attraction to me. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. Oh, that old rugged cross. To that old rugged cross I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he will call me home someday to my home far away where his glory forever I will share. Beloved, it is a prayer of my heart that anyone at the sound of my voice would make this motto until you face Jesus, to be theirs until you face Jesus face to face. 